Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Second and two here though. Here's Prescott over the middle. I mean, when that that happened and they took a 27 to nothing lead and it was still just the first half, I just kept thinking about some of the Cowboy friends that I have and how pumped up they were and how much they thought this would be different this year. You know, Dak had played at a near MVP level. The defense was playmaking. You know, they... uh, two home games before the 49ers. I don't think any of them expected that they would go to Santa Clara in an NFC title game and win, but there was certainly expectation that for the first time in 28 years, they would win more than one playoff game. And that thing was over so quickly. First of all, Denton, I did not like the game. I didn't give out the game. I didn't play the game. Uh, I thought the point spread was kind of right. I knew that there would be more Dallas action for sure. There always is. But the sharp action on the game was completely split. Um, and I just didn't like the game at all. The one thing I think you and I talked about last week was just Green Bay with a healthy Aaron Jones. Would they be able to run the football? And if they could, then maybe you know they could create a game. I forget. what was your Who did you pick in this game? I was on the Packers plus seven. I gave that out on social media uh, as well. I just don't trust McCarthy. I, I just, I, I don't. There, there's nothing about him that I trust in the postseason, and it was on display. They looked like because they were so good at home this year. I mean, they looked really good this this weekend, but like different kinds of good, right? They were so good, and they made like we saw in the first drive. There were two penalties for eight yards, but those two penalties helped Green Bay walk down and score. It just never changes with this guy. No, never. Uh, they had, you know, the opening drive, you know, it was second and 10 and, the, and Jordan Love got sacked and there was an illegal contact on Bland and that created a first down. And then even at second and 13, then, you know, they, they missed uh, Love and he makes the play to Dobbs. Um, so uh, there, there's so much to this game and we'll do Dallas and Philadelphia for never 11-25, sorry. 35. 35. So we've got... Uh, 20 minutes here to, to, to kind of go through the games from the weekend. Um, look, for me, it was really simple. Uh, number one reason that the Cowboys not only lost, but lost in embarrassing fashion, a game that they never had a chance in from the jump. 
you know, down 20, 14 nothing, 20 to nothing, 27 nothing, 48 to 16. They were down 32. I mean, that final score of 48 to 32, which is a 16 point deficit, which in the NFL is pretty large, was nowhere near a true reflection of how badly they got beat in the game. But the number one culprit for me in the loss was Dan Quinn and the Dallas defense. It was an embarrassing performance. So a couple of things. Number one, Dallas all year long, one of the vulnerabilities they did have was stopping the run against teams that really wanted to run it against them. You go all the way back to week three, Arizona rushed for 222 yards. James Conner, they bully-balled him with the run in that game, and Dallas lost in week three on the road. Uh, Buffalo ran for 266 in that you know demolition of the Cowboys uh, in December, 31 to 10 in Orchard Park. That was the big game for James Cook. I think he rushed for 179 yards. But there were other examples. Uh, I remember I had the Panthers against the Cowboys, which did not work out, plus the points. But the game was 17 to 10 going into the fourth quarter, in part because. Chuba Hubbard and Miles Sanders were running the ball at to, to the tune of five yards per carry against that Dallas defense. The 49ers obviously did whatever they wanted to do against them. Um, and the Lions a couple of weeks ago ran the ball well. So that was their vulnerability defensively at times this year. And that's where I think it all started. It started with them not being able to to stop the run. Aaron, by the way, Aaron Jones, who was out for a while, here are his last four games. Just something to keep in mind going into the San Francisco game on Saturday night. When he came back from injury, his final games of the regular season were 21 carries, 127 yards, 20 carries, 120 yards, 22 carries, 111 yards. And then on Sunday, 21 for a buck 18. He is rushed for 476 yards in his last four games, that is 5.7 yards per carry. He gutted the Cowboys. They dominated up front. And off of that, here comes the play action and the throws, and my God, did Jordan Love make some throws. He made some throws off of one foot, off of both feet. It's funny, the Favre-Rogers-Love style especially against pressure and blitz pressure, you know, off back foot, off both feet. Um, got to have the arm strength. You got to be able to throw with anticipation for sure. Um, but everything worked off of their ability to gut them up front. This was a mismatch coaching-wise. Dan Quinn has been a good defensive coordinator in this league. Look, he got the Atlanta Falcons as a head coach to the Super Bowl, and they had a 28-3 lead in that game in the Super Bowl, as we remember. Um, but on Sunday, Matt, Matt LaFleur was chess to, to Dan Quinn's checkers all day long. Scheme, formations, motions. Not to mention, as Doc would put it, manhood issues up front. Um, I, I read this stat yesterday, 54 snaps Green Bay had 
Okay, just keep this in mind. They only had 54 offensive snaps, and they rolled up 415 yards, 41 points, because seven came on the pick six by ex-Terp Darnell Savage, who, by the way, was the player that Washington wanted in the Dwayne Haskins draft. Um, 41 points, 415 yards, 7.7 yards per play, in 54 yard in 54 offensive snaps that is ridiculous production uh they averaged 9.2 yards per play on first down they had seven first down runs in the game of 8 yards or more it was an absolute gutting of the Dallas defense. And then the, the the throws, have you ever seen? Actually, two games this weekend, the Houston game in the first half in particular, and then the Dallas game. Have you ever seen receivers more wide open off some of the action than they were in the Dallas Green Bay game? I mean, Dobbs, all of them just standing there wide open, not one Dallas defender in the picture. It was an embarrassing display on defense. They ran at times in in some of their action at Micah Parsons to hold them. Uh, Dallas never adjusted. But oh, the, the stat that I saw that I wanted to 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 relay, uh, if you didn't see this, on the fifty four snaps defensively, Dallas was in nickel or dime on forty eight of the fifty four. At what point does it occur, maybe since we are getting absolutely bludgeoned at the line of scrimmage, we may want to get a little bit bigger here and stop that first. By the way, we've said this before about Aaron Jones, Denton. He's an underrated back. I know people, football fans, know how good he is, but he really has explosiveness. He's got incredible vision. He makes people miss in short spaces. And having him back for this game was a big deal. Uh, A big deal. Um, But for me, number one reason the Cowboys got obliterated on Sunday by the Packers, a seven seed at home, uh, was defense was Dan Quinn being completely outmatched, outsmarted, outwitted, um, and then and their defense being completely manhandled and outplayed uh, by Green Bay's offense. But I'm not taking Dak Prescott off the hook. I'm not taking Mike McCarthy off the hook. But this was not a Dak Prescott primarily loss. This was a Dallas defense loss, in my view. But on Dak Prescott, so... Some of this is just, you know, kind of observation and opinion, and some of it is factual. My opinion is this. When they deferred and Green Bay took the ball and went down the field in seven on a seven-minute, 54-second drive and stuck it into the end zone for a 7 nothing lead, I thought he came out onto the field looking a little bit tight. Now, the first third down of the game, he makes a really good off-schedule run to move the chains. It's a hell of a run. It's a hell of a play. But the next third down, the first big throw 
of the game down seven to nothing was that throw to CeeDee Lamb that people were saying was a drop. It was not a good throw. It was choice route underneath third and seven. It should be easy pitch catch because he's impossible to check from that, that spot on the field. And the ball was thrown too far outside. I, Lamb could have made a great catch. I don't know if he gets the first down if he makes the great catch. But it should have been pitch, catch, move the chains, and now we're in business to try to go down and make it 7-7. Seven to seven. Instead, they ended up punting it. Um, then he throws the pick on the next drive to Jair Alexander, which I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not – I've not – and I, I won't. Uh, I'm not breaking down the all 22 of the Cowboy game. But I know he was throwing not for C.D. Lamb against their best corner. So you got your number two or your number three in tight space against their best cover corner. I'd have to think that that's not where you were supposed to throw the ball. It's a great interception. Don't get me wrong. I bet you it's the wrong choice. And then on the next drive, they're down 14-0. Now he's really pressing. And you can see it. I saw it. We've seen Dak feel it in some of these spots before. Kind of like Romo did in some of these spots when he was a quarterback. Really good quarterback. Romo, really good quarterback. But there's there's a certain level of pressure on the Dallas quarterback you know, especially when you've got a team where there are high expectations, and they've had a couple of them that tend to have, you know what, shrivel up a little bit. And that next drive, they are in clear-cut field goal range, and he takes a sack. Panics, leaves the pocket early, takes a sack, and they've got to punt the ball. And it was at that moment I'm like, oh, my God, they aren't going to win this game. I mean, they have been unstoppable as a front-running team on offense at home this year. And now they got to punt it back. They can't even get three to sort of stop the the blood early bloodletting here. And he takes a sack at a field goal range. Then he stares down Savage on the pick six, and it's 27 to nothing? Uh, look, I thought he looked tight. I thought he looked rattled, and sure, this is true too. When your defense is as bad as as Dallas's defense was, and the game gets sideways because now every single they score on every drive for the most part, and you're down double digits, and now it puts that pressure, that game pressure on. Oh my God! If we don't score on this drive. We're going to be down 20 to nothing, 21 nothing, or 28 to nothing. And he didn't handle it well. You know, he's a good quarterback. He had a hell of a season. He now has a history, or at least a recent history, of being a bit of a front runner in their 12 wins this year. So, opinion, sort of feel, I thought he looked tight, and I thought it got the better of him. Uh, the defense still the number one reason they lost the game. But I went back and looked at this yesterday. In the 12 wins they had this year, they never trailed in eight of the 12. In three of the other four wins they had, 
They only trailed briefly, and it was never by more than seven. In fact, in in two of them, it was by three. Like they were down to Washington, ten to seven in Week 18. You know, hardly a pressure spot in that moment. All right, um, but they were never down by more than seven in three of the other four wins. And then the game that there was severe game pressure, where he actually delivered in a big way was when they were down by eight in the second half at home against Seattle, and they came back and won that game 41-35. to They also took the lead against Miami. I'll give them credit for that one, too, on Christmas Eve when they were down by nine. He left the field with them having a lead and never got back on the field because Miami whittled the clock away and kicked a walk-off field goal to win that game. But for the most part, the games they won – they just weren't overly pushed from a game pressure standpoint, score, etc. When they got off to leads, they rolled. They annihilated people as a front runner this year. When they didn't get off to leads, for the most part, they lost the games. And on Sunday, there was immediate game pressure because of how bad the defense was, and Dak did not respond very well. He didn't. You know, that game could have been more competitive. Maybe they don't win that game with anybody at quarterback because of how bad they were defensively. You know, but you had to match them. The The pressure of being down 7, being down 14 was, look, if I'm really that guy, we got to score on this drive. I can't take a sack in field goal range. I mean, I have no idea what that that play revealed anyway. It may have revealed somebody wide open. I think the Jair Alexander pick, it's going to reveal C.D. Lamb's got man coverage. Um, and if he's bracketed, that's fine. Uh, but you can't throw it to your number two or number three receiver against your number one corner. And it wasn't a great throw to begin with, and it was a great, it was a great pick. But you, you know, the one you cannot say, even if you agree with me that Dallas's defense was far and away the number one reason they lost that game. You can't say it wasn't Dak's fault, too. It, when, you, when you're down 32 in the fourth quarter at home <clears throat> against a seven seed, you know, it's everybody's fault. Because McCarthy was completely outwitted, too, by Joe Barry. Because offensively, they were not sure. Could have been Dak. But I thought, you know, putting the stat padding numbers to the side, throwing for over 400 yards and three touchdowns, that was all stat padding. I mean, we know stat padding when we see it. When you're down 27-0 or you're down 48-16 to and you still lose by double digits, if you don't complete that comeback, it's stat padding. Dak wasn't anywhere near good enough to keep the game within reach. You know, it's a big decision for the next coach, and I think there's going to be a next coach. McCarthy's got to go. Right, Denton? He's got to go. He's won 12 games three straight years. I understand that. But they lost at home as a higher seed in the first playoff year, and they lost. They didn't just lose. They were embarrassed beyond what we typically see in an NFL playoff game for a home team as a seven-point-plus favorite. Uh, they were embarrassed. They got their doors blown off by a seven seed at home. 
He's 1-3 and three in the postseason, and the only win was against a fading and a not very good Tampa Bay team last year. It was against the Tampa Bay team last year where Tom Brady was done. He was rumored done. to be hooking up with Kim Kardashian. That, that's the team they beat last year. I mean, I would personally like it if Mike McCarthy stays there. I think it'd make our lives a little easier moving forward, but I'm stunned, at least by Tuesday now, that he hasn't been fired. I thought Jerry Jones was going to fire him in his own um, his post-game press conference. I thought one of the dumbest comments of the weekend was, and I don't have a problem with Greg Olson. I guess we get Brady oh, next I, year. In the I know exactly team. what you're saying. I couldn't believe he said this. Yeah, about McCarthy, if he's available. Yeah. Gre- Greg Olson late in that game. And I understand the players and coaches and their world and protecting and not, you know, calling for somebody's job. And it and, and it wouldn't be Olsen's job as the number one analyst in that moment to call for McCarthy's job. It is his job, I think, in the moment to bring it up in question. You know, this puts McCarthy on the list of potentials for sure. But he went full sort of, you know, protect each other mode when he suggested that if Mike McCarthy gets fired, there will be a line of teams waiting to hire him. That is so far of a reach for me. It seems completely way off to me. I mean, especially given the number of veteran coaches with much better resumes, Belichick, et cetera, um, that are out there, Harbaugh, um, I don't think McCarthy's getting a sniff in this hiring cycle. I- I'd be stunned. And I thought that Olsen probably, because I think he's a bright guy, and I think he does a decent job with Kevin Burkhart. I guess we get Brady and Burkhart next year. I think that's what we get next year. Um, but I think Olsen probably would look at that and say, yeah, that was probably a bit much. If Mike McCarthy gets hired to be a head coach in this hiring cycle, if if Jerry fires him, I'd be shocked. There can't be any desire to hire Mike McCarthy. First of all, his teams are completely undisciplined. They've been the number one or number two most penalized team for the four seasons he's been in Dallas. And these penalties have hurt. Number two is he can't get them over the hump. Look, would I want somebody as a head coach, given what we've been through for the last 30-something years, to uh, win 12 games a year and get us? not saying that their organization is the Stephen, Will McClay, et cetera. Um, but, man, there's no, there's no line for Mike McCarthy. I mean, I don't think so. That was, that was playoff humiliation. And that's got to Jerry Belichick, Vrabel, Harbaugh a slew of perceived top-notch assistants who are out there in this hiring cycle. I got to think McCarthy's done. I am surprised, too, that it, that it hasn't happened yet. But Jerry, one thing we've seen with him over the years, he is patient and sometimes overly loyal. And 36 wins in three years is, you know, nothing to, 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 to certainly sneeze at. It's just that was, that was bad on Sunday. Um, we'll check on all the Cowboy fans out there at some point. Uh, all right. We'll get to Philly. We'll get to the other games next hour. PFF's Brad Spielberger next. We'll talk about some of these 
coaching openings, what he thinks will happen in Dallas, what he thinks will happen in Washington, and a lot more. It's the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980 to Team980.com. We are also live and free. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. On the Odyssey app. Yes, I have seen the Jay Gruden RG3 back and forth, uh, and I am going to talk about it. In fact, our guest right now, Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus, uh, tweeted it out last night as well. Uh, Brad joins us, by the way, courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline, Bet Smarter and Beat the Books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. We've had Brad on the show a lot. You can follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Actually, let, let me ask you about this. So Jay, for those of you that don't know, Jay Gruden, um, who comes on my podcast every week, tweeted out last night, if I ever put a quarterback through what Philly is putting Jalen is in Jalen Hurts through, I apologize. Pick up a blitz. You know, exclamation point to which RG3, you know, does this uh, picture of himself with his glasses tilted saying, Say what? Um, Jay then responded. Jay responded by saying, You weren't prepared, Robert. And Robert, Bobby the third, said, You told me you didn't know how to coach a quarterback who could throw and run like me. So it looks like you weren't prepared, Jay. Um, pretty hysterical. Uh, actually, Brad, with you, I'll just start with this. I mean, Jay wasn't wrong. What were, what were they doing last night? Bowles seemed to have them completely flustered. It's been an issue for them the entire season where they just do not know how to uh, properly respond to the blitz. They don't have these hot routes available to Jalen Hurts. Everyone is still running 10 yards downfield when you know Todd Bowles likes to bring pressure. Um, I thought he had a good game plan specifically for this game. But, yeah, they just have not had a counter um, and just a schematic approach to how they're going to answer when a team brings a blitz. It's been it's bizarre. There have been people writing articles about it for months now, um, and it just never changed. You know, here, early on in the season, when Washington, when Sam Howell had his first really good game, which was at Philly, a game they lost 34-31 in overtime, I remember coming in the next day saying, something ain't right with Philadelphia defensively. And I didn't want to knock Howell in the offense because it was a productive day, but they they just – at 
it, early on, they were struggling defensively. Ultimately, was it the loss of their coordinator? Was it personnel? Why did why did Philadelphia regress so significantly from twenty two to twenty three defensively? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I do think Jonathan Gannon is a good coach, so, so that's probably part of it. But I also think, truly, this is showing me variance in defense. And yeah, yeah. you saw last year their schedule was maybe the easiest opposing schedule of quarterbacks and offenses in the entire NFL. Um, that obviously changes when you have a first-round or a first-place schedule, get some tougher matchups throughout the season. And then also just the fragility I, I thought you saw with you re-signed both Darius Slay and James Bradbury, both corners over 30 years of age, both coming off of, you know, Pro Bowl, All-Pro seasons in 2022. Not saying it's an easy decision to just let those guys walk, but Bradbury, you know, I, I don't think he got benched last night. There were some tweets going around they did. I think he maybe just missed a couple series with injury, but he hasn't been good all year long. They moved him into the slot to try to get him in a different look. That didn't work. And Slay was fine um, before that injury, but, you know, he's 32 years old trying to be a number one receiver or number one corner and match up with some of these guys they're facing. So that was a big part of it. And they had all the sacks last year, you know, the 70 sacks, whatever it was, the most in the NFL uh, in a very long time, if not ever, a lot of those were still covered sacks. Like it's a good pass rush unit, no question about it. And you drop in a Jalen Carter, you know, in theory, get even better. But when your secondary cannot hold up whatsoever, when you're off-ball linebackers, you lose T.J. Edwards, who was phenomenal this year in Chicago, quarterbacks are just throwing the ball quickly um, and just kind of mitigating your pass rush by not letting you get home. Yeah, the 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 short the, the quick game has really mitigated pass rush to a certain extent. Guys like you have explained that and and you know um, over the years, it's funny because I I talked about in the open to the show, and I'm sure it comes from reading you and reading Sam and others, you know about this that there's there's so much variance year to year when it comes to defense. Look at Washington's defense last year, top 10 in almost every advanced statistical metric. And this year, arguably the worst defense in football, Philly the same thing. Um why in your opinion is there much greater year to year variance with defense versus much less with offense? Yeah, I think a couple things. So, so first, uh, I do think your defensive performance is often predicated, like I said, by the opponent. But I also think at a larger level, defense is more of a weak link system. And by that, I mean, you know, if you have maybe one or two corners or one or two linebackers in coverage or even just one, that that is a huge, huge deficit to your defense. That guy can get picked on, and it can make as good as the other guys are. And obviously, this is oversimplifying it a little bit, but as good as those other guys are, if you just really, it can cause more problems. Where if you have a good quarterback, maybe one good receiver, and an, and a league average offensive line, or, or schemer and play caller, or whatever, you can overcome more things. Like I think it's interesting. You look at some of the Shanahan offenses this year. The Niners have one good offensive lineman, like with all due respect. Like, Trent Williams is one of the best to ever do it. They have four replacement-level offensive linemen besides him. Miami doesn't really have a good offensive line. They've had some good stories this year, some success stories, some guys that have earned some money. None of them are are great players. They're they're all solid. And and they're just coaching around it, and they're scheming around it by getting the ball out quickly. Obviously, those teams have some of the best weaponry in the NFL. So that's the, the, the biggest thing, is I think you can hide and mask your deficiencies way easier on offense. Uh, where on defense, like, it's just tough. And then, of course, injuries 
uh, you know, are part of football on both sides of the ball, but but can really just kind of tear down a defensive unit pretty quickly. By the way, uh, Todd Bowles, I've always been a big fan. You know, when he was in New York, he had the head coaching opportunity, no quarterback, no offense during that run. I'm actually really happy for him because he's a first-rate guy. He was here as a player during the glory years, Brad, um, when they were winning Super Bowls and they were, a, a, you know, a relevant franchise. Um, and I'm just wondering what you think of him as a defensive mind. You know, I think he's always shown uh, a willingness to adapt and change and have great week-to-week game plans. You know, as a defensive coordinator, and at first, underneath Bruce Arians, obviously he's infamous for, in particular, you know, going up against Patrick Mahomes. But throughout that entire playoff run, he was one of the, he ran a defense that was so, so predicated on single high safety, loading up the box, stopping the run, and they did get picked on in coverage. And he kind of, has evolved with the rest of the NFL where now he plays a lot more too high safety or he rotates coverage or he brings different, more exotic blitz packages and pressures. He's a really, really good defensive play caller. There's, there's no doubt about it. And the biggest thing for me is just you can see on a week-to-week basis, depending on the opponent, the defense looks totally different. They weren't perfect this year. They did actually allow some of the most explosive pass plays in the NFL, but it's in part because they had a ton of injuries in the secondary and their pass rush unit just kind of needs to get some of these young guys to grow. But you see development from his players, their rookie class on defense has a ton of guys, you know, Kalaja Kansas, the first rounder, Yaya Diaby off the edge, making plays on a weekly basis. He is, he's really, really good. And the last piece I would say that is fun to see and cool to see, they went for it on fourth and two last night at like midfield. You yeah. never see that from Todd Bowles. And I, and right. I think, that's always been one of the biggest knocks on him, but I think he is, he's clearly open to listening and learning and growing. And that's awesome. Do you give them a chance at, at Detroit? <sighs> I, I mean, I, I guess you can't not, I, I think Mike Evans is going to be an absolute nightmare for the Lions to cover. And maybe Baker just throws it up to him and, and he goes off and, and that's a, a way to win. I do like the matchup of, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson is now a, a weekly problem, a force-multiplying defender. But the, the tackles in Tampa are, are as good as it gets. I mean, Tristan Wirfs and now Luke Kadecki has really taken strides at right tackle as well. So, you know, maybe they kick Hutchinson inside, which they do a bunch, and he's successful there too. But if they can keep him at bay to a degree, and then, yeah, Baker can just kind of pick on this secondary, um, I, I think they can, they can keep up with them. So I, I guess we'll see. Um, bringing kind of the conversation full circle, uh, starting with Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden desperately tried to hire Todd Bowles uh, prior to the 2019 season, bring him back to you know uh, Washington. Doug Williams was a big part of trying to recruit him. Uh, they had been teammates together, but Jay was a lame duck, you know. And Bruce Arians had a much uh, better situation. Um, in that moment, and uh, they obviously went away from that, and they ended up giving the job to Greg Minuski, which turned out to be a disaster. We're talking to uh, Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. So I do want to ask you about the team here, and we will get to that in a couple of minutes. But with respect to what happened this weekend, the stunner obviously was Dallas not just losing, but losing in a one-sided beatdown blowout. Do you expect changes? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And also just a good, you know, tying to our first topic there, you know, Dan Quinn's defense just did not match up with a Shanahan scheme. No. They don't have linebackers on the roster and they just got bullied and pushed around. So again, because of some injuries and some issues there. So 
I do. You agree, I right, that to... that was the number one reason for the loss. I mean, Dak did not play well, but Quinn was completely – they were manhandled, and he was outwitted at every turn by LaFleur. Both manhandled and then had guys just running wide open. Wide you open. Know. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, yes. Obviously, Dak had the pick six, which kind of put the nail in the coffin, so to speak. But, yeah, he wasn't terrible, and, and the defense truly was terrible from start to finish. So I do agree with you there. Um, I know that we haven't heard anything yet, and I do think Jerry Jones is going to take his time to work through this a little bit. But I would be somewhat surprised um, if McCarthy keeps this job. The scuttlebutt the entire year everyone was talking about was McCarthy needs to win – probably one, maybe even two playoff games to keep his job or Jones might go, you know, big game hunting. He didn't just lose in the first round. I mean, he got just, they got blown out. They were not prepared. They were outclassed on both sides of the ball. You know, we agree more so the defense, but still uh, the offense obviously was not firing on all cylinders until they were down 20 to nothing. So yeah, I I do. I think you'll see a different head coach there soon. Sticking with them for a moment. um, The other part of it, and I talked about it right before you came on, uh, the, to me, again, the, the, the Dallas defense was the number one reason, and you count a couple of spaces until you get to number two as to why they lost and how badly they lost. However, I thought Dak, from the moment he took the field, down 7 nothing, looked tight, looked rattled, um, and they got to make a decision to pay him $60 million a year. So how do you think that goes? Yeah, I mean, this is why you know the leverage is all in Dak's camp and, and all in his favor, and they just played this so poorly because you tag him a second time, so now a third tag is not really an option, and they can always you know kind of use that against you. Yes, he had a bad playoff performance, and you know historically, yes, he was very good in the first round last year, but you know, kind of that is a bit of a knock against him. You don't really have a choice. I mean, he had an MVP caliber season. I'm not saying he's my MVP vote. He was a top five quarterback in the NFL this year. No bones about it. And I think you can, you know, bring in. A, if you do bring in a new head coach, then we can untap that further. He kept talking all season long about how much in love he is with the West Coast offense and the timing with his footwork and all these elements of. Like, I didn't even realize how much easier it was to play quarterback and how much right. better things could be. Um, so I think there's even optimism of potential room for growth for him. Yeah, you, you got you got to do it. Uh, he's going to become one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. It'll be a player friendly structure. It'll be short term again. It'll, you know, three probably four years again. That's just you, you just have to. If you have a top ten quarterback in the NFL in his late twenties, that's that's what you do. Yeah, it's really it's such. I think it's such an interesting thing because. He's not in a he's not one of the specials, you know, he's not Mahomes, he's not Josh Allen, he's not Burrow, you know, what whoever you want to put in the top four or five of the elites. But it's almost impossible to find somebody that you're sure will be as good as him. Right, no, 100%. And I think that argument gets made oftentimes with quarterbacks that shouldn't get made about like, oh, it's so hard to find like a Daniel Jones replacement. Like, no, it isn't. Um, you know, but, but with Dak, he certainly does fall into that category. And he's not one of the cyborgs. I think my new favorite term to describe it is like one of the hoopers. Where like there, there is a stiffness and a rigidity to his game. He doesn't just kind of, you know, dance, dance around and have these weird off-platform throws and weird arm angles and, and create something out of nothing. He can do it at times, but it's not really his game. And those are the guys now that are really taking teams and offenses to another levels because – inside structure they can operate and then when things break down 
they can create these explosive plays and chunk plays with their legs, or, of course, the, the best quarterbacks right now are the ones that are the best throwing when scrambling. So he's not in that class. He, he isn't, but he is still too good to, to really, in my opinion, even entertain going a different direction. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. We're talking to Brad Spielberger from PFF. I know we're focusing on the two NFC East team losses, but you think McCarthy will be gone. What about Sirianni? So that one's wild. I, I mean, coming into the game last night, I was like, all right, this, this is maybe some Philly media and maybe some national media kind of buying into a bit of a crazy narrative. He was 10-1 and one to start the year. Yes, it wasn't, you know, it was a bit of a fraudulent 10-1, and one, but you lose the Super Bowl and you still kind of galvanize the group and regroup and start off the year with a 10-1 and one record with some wins over some good teams. I mean, they beat Kansas City, they beat Buffalo. They won with offense. They won at times with defense. I just couldn't buy it. But, I mean, last night's effort from that team was as poor of an effort as I've ever seen. Like, we, we can talk X's and O's and scheme all we want. The first tackler to the ball, I don't think, made the tackle a single time the entire night. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it from a disciplined, veteran-led, proud team, proud organization. I don't care who the, you know, the injuries. Tackling doesn't mean you need to be you know, uber-talented to get a guy on the ground. So that, to me, I, I don't know, but that looks to me like a team that has quit on their coach. I, I don't know how else to describe it. So maybe they do. I just It sounds crazy to even say it out loud. But, but yeah, last night certainly looked like a team that, that wants a new head coach. And it's not like Jeffrey Lurie hasn't pulled the plug quickly before. Chip Kelly, Doug Peterson, Peterson, you know, a couple of years after actually winning uh, the Super Bowl. So give me two guesses on the new coaches in Dallas and Philadelphia. Yeah, so for Dallas, I think Mike Vrabel's interesting. You know, I'm sure maybe they make a run at Bill Belichick. I, I do think Belichick to Atlanta is going to get done. Yeah, I think when that gets reported, you know, I'm sure the only people that knew about that, if they wanted to, would be Bill Belichick and owner Arthur Blank. And if they wanted to keep that private and not let it get out, I think it would have. So I just think it says a lot that we heard about the interview the day of, and I think there is a mutual respect there. I think people kind of forget that Thomas Dimitrov and Scott Pioli ran the building for 15 years, and both of those guys came from New England and kind of established that system. So I think Belichick goes there and doesn't go to Dallas, and I wonder if Jones thinks the big splash this year. All right, go through Mike Vrabel a tone setter, a culture setter, a guy I think would work better with the Cowboys too. Like he does want power just like Belichick does, but I think he'd be more open to kind of letting Jerry have the spotlight and, and do his weekly radio hits and all that stuff. And Vrabel can just focus on football. So I'll take that swing there for Philly. I mean, it's gotta be offense. They don't, they don't hire defensive head coaches. I mean, you mentioned they've fired a lot better coaches than Nick Sirianni, um, you know, and they all, they were all offensive juggernauts. So, I mean, I, you know, maybe they go young again and inexperienced again, like Sirianni. They go like a Dave Canales in Tampa, a Bobby Slowick in Houston would make a whole lot of sense. Um, let's go him. Let's, let's go Bobby Slowick in Houston as the next head coach of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. All right, so that leaves Ben Johnson potentially for here. Is that your guess? <clears throat> that is my guess, for sure. And what do you think of the, the combination of Peters and Ben Johnson? I think it's about as good of an offseason as you could have. Uh, I think they probably were, if not the top candidates in both respective jobs, uh, certainly at the top of the list. Peters has become a guy that doesn't even really take interviews unless there's serious interest. I think it's notable just the fact that he was willing to leave in the first place. Uh, it, it speaks to the, the belief he has in the forward direction of this organization. Um, the people that have worked with him say he, he's a phenomenal scout. 
he is open to the idea of all that they're going to want to incorporate. Like he is going to be the football guy, but you know, San Francisco kind of underratedly does a lot of work in, in the analytics space and um, you know, football research, all those things. <clears throat> and then Ben Johnson. Yeah. I, I think is the best head coaching candidate on the market. I'm frankly not sure it's particularly close. And I like a lot of other guys, but multiple years now calling plays on offense. Jared Goff is a good thrower of the football, but you have to cater a scheme around him. And it's the last piece is he's different. He's not, hey, let's get the next Shanahan guy that runs outside zone and under center play action and builds concepts off of it. He's, he's totally unique in how he goes about the game. They have a heavy gap inside zone scheme in Detroit. They bully you. He wants to run the football and set up a lot of the passing game. Um, I, just, I just think he is the best candidate in the cycle. All right, uh, I'll ask you for your hunch also, and you can give that afterwards, but what do you think they should do at the quarterback position holding the number two overall pick? I was starting to buy into Sam Howell a little bit, you know, towards the middle of the season, in particular when the pressure to sack rate started to come down, and it did. You know, from week, you know, like 9 through 15, it was like, all right, he's starting to figure it out, not take as many sacks that are his fault, Um but it, it then just got uglier, you know, on, <laughs> down the last month of the year. The interceptions kind of went up a little bit at the same time. They, they have to take, you know, who, Chicago should take Caleb Williams, and Washington should be happy with the concession prize of Drake May. Drake May over Jaden Daniels. Yeah, love Jaden Daniels. Um, I, I think he's a tier below those first two. You know, awesome, awesome player, fun player. I'm not buying into the idea of, like, oh, he's a late breakout. Like, no, he, he was – uh, in 2019, as a true yeah. freshman, he beat Justin Herbert <laughs> uh, with yeah. 400 passing yards. But I just uh, throwing in, in between the numbers to me, uh, you don't see it a lot on tape. It's a lot of throwing down the sidelines, and, and you know, it's it just that that to me, I think is going to be interesting how that translates. Whereas Jerick May throwing like backside digs and, and post routes, um, you know, corner routes from the opposite side, like he just he'll throw any route. He throws absolute javelins, and I think he's a special talent as well. The hunch I was asking you is whether or not you have any sort of thought based on Peter's track record or what he might be thinking. Do you think he'll come to the same conclusion, too, that they have to go quarterback it, too? I think it also ties into, you know, when you're leaving to to go to this job, and he can be picky and kind of pick his spot. I think the main attraction is, all right, you get to walk in, you get your quarterback of your choosing, because, you know, and then, of course, four other top 100 draft picks, they basically haven't spent in free agency in two, three years now, so they're good on the cap books, and you still do have some talent. Um, you know, Terry McLaurin, et cetera, some good veteran players that you can build around as well. Uh, yeah, I think it was it was borderline. Like, part of the, the interest from him was the fact that he gets to pick his own quarterback. Great job, as always. Always appreciate the time, Brad. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me. At PFF underscore Brad, Kevin Sheehan Show, Team 980. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.